Hello, I'm Andrew and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 21st of February 2024. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for you this week, we have myself, Andrew, Nathan, Ian, Christine, Pete, Helen, Mary, Mina, and of course, not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have a VIP group update from Helen, from those that hibernate to calls from blind date, we have a Laura Laura laughs. In the latest news for the black country, we have the quiz with Mina. There's all the drama from the latest football news for West Brom and Wolves. A did you know section from Flashback Rogal. We hear from Mina who has the weather for the week ahead. And with temperatures becoming milder and the season of spring doing its thing. We hear from the garden experts at MK Pulse magazine who have plenty of tips to share. Local news to start though with Ian, Christine, but first, Angela. Dudley's leader laid out in stark terms the need for change at the council, saying without reform the authority is doomed. Councillor Patrick Harley delivered his assessment at a meeting of the Council's Cabinet on February 15th. Cabinet members and leading opposition politicians were debating the danger of Dudley declaring itself effectively bankrupt by issuing a 114 notice, which is a statutory declaration by a council that it believes it cannot pay its bills. Dudley is currently reviewing the way it works and services it provides and the authority's Conservative leader is in no doubt about its importance. Councillor Harley said, We have to continue this work. This is the transformation that will yield savings that we need. Without that, we are doomed to failure and a 114 will happen. No one wants to be the leader when the finance director issues a 114. Top officers are currently working on a new total operating model for the authority. Councillor Harley is confident the council will deliver a balanced budget for 2024-25 and says the review will mean things will be different, but the council will be on a sound financial footing in future years. Councillor Pete Lowe, leader of the Labour opposition, said it is not just this financial year. 
the risk of a 114 will remain dire. We will work collectively where we can to ensure finances are put on an even keel. Councillor Lowe, who aims to replace Councillor Harley as council leader after elections in May, told his opposite number, We will continue to work with you, we will scrutinise and we will discuss robustly in council debates. At the same meeting, councillors voted to adopt a new policy to provide dedicated disabled parking bays for blue badge holders near their homes. At the moment, disabled bays are a free-for-all and not allocated for individual badge holders. Under the change of policy agreed by the Cabinet, residents would be able to apply for a dedicated space where possible within 50 metres of their home. Dudley's Group Traffic Manager, Hugh Dannett, told councillors, At the moment, with an advisory bay, anybody can park there and block a disabled person out. There is nothing we can do. Where we have got one bay, disabled people are fighting it out. This is trying to improve the situation and get more spaces. Transport bosses have set aside £1 million in funding to develop plans for three new railway stations, including one in the Black Country. A new station in Wolverhampton would be situated between Tettenhall, Cleargate and Penderford on the Wolverhampton to Shrewsbury line. A previous station in Tettenhall was located on the Wombourne branch line, However, it only lasted seven years between the line's opening in 1925 and passenger services ceasing in 1932. The other new railway stations would be at Castle Bromwich and Coventry East. The three locations have been shortlisted by the West Midlands Rail Executive, WMRE, following a feasibility study which concluded that a new station could provide much-needed improvement to public transport for these communities. The proposed station development funding has come from the City Region Sustainable Transport Settlement, CRSTS, which was awarded to the West Midlands Combined Authority, WMCA, by the Department for Transport. Andy Street, Mayor of the West Midlands and WMRE Chairman said, With five new railway stations under construction and a sixth on the way, we're getting on with delivering the transport infrastructure local people want to see right across our region. We've now whittled down our list of stations to a priority list of these three at Castle Bromwich, Coventry East and Tettenhall as these are the ones most likely to deliver the biggest benefit to the communities they serve. For those locations which did not make the shortlist, we're still looking at ways to bring forward delivery. The £1.7 billion Midland Rail Hub scheme, now fully funded by government, may provide an avenue and will certainly be a game-changer, enabling us to connect even more towns and communities to the rail network. New rail infrastructure can be transformative for an area, offering residents sustainable and convenient access to rapid and reliable public transport. That's why it's good news that local people will benefit from these stations very soon. Further proposed stations which have not made the shortlist could be reconsidered once the Midlands Rail Hub is under construction. The hub will increase regional rail capacity between the East and West Midlands, 
as well as into Birmingham city centre via Moore Street Station. And major improvements to cycling and walking routes across Wolverhampton are also due next year as part of a £1.1 million Black Country-wide plan to improve the region's active travel infrastructure. Council cabinet bosses are set to procure a nine-month contract, valued at just under £300,000, to undertake works to develop a cycling and walking pathway from Wensfield to Darleston, and a new active travel link for the East Park area. The contract is one of four that make up the Black Country Transport Local Cycling and Walking Infrastructure Plans, LCWIP. Early development works, which also includes improvements and developments to routes in Dudley, Sandwell and Walsall. These will be approved once the evaluation of potential suppliers is complete. Councillor Craig Collingswood, Cabinet Member for Environment and Climate Change, said Wolverhampton Council, in collaboration with the other Black Country local authorities, is dedicated to delivering a high-quality active travel network across the region over the next 10 years. A third of the people in the Black Country do not have access to a car or private vehicle. One of our main aims is to allow people to visit places they would not otherwise have been able to without a car. The Black Country Walking, Wheeling and Cycling Plan prioritises walking, wheeling and cycling to enhance connectivity for residents across the region, improve public health by enabling residents to walk, wheel and cycle safely and conveniently as well as reduce carbon emissions. In a report to the Cabinet, Head of Procurement John Thompson said, This strategy is designed to increase the number of journeys taken by active travel modes. It will identify improvements that can be made to infrastructure for cyclists and pedestrians, creating a walking, wheeling and cycling network with a long-term approach to active travel in the region. It is not viable for this work to be completed in-house by Black Country Transport BCT, or the local authorities, as we do not have the resource to complete all the required work. The West Midlands Combined Authority WMCA, has allocated £1.3 million capability and ambition funding to Wolverhampton Council to develop transport infrastructure improvement works. We have a commitment to spending our allocation of this funding, as well as further developing other routes within the LCWIP in line with various policies set out by the four Black Country local authorities. This plan will also play a crucial role in the West Midlands' commitment to a net-zero transport system by 2041, as well as combating physical inactivity in the region. Up next, we hear from Helen, who, as usual, has our latest Beacon update. VIP Group. We are a group of working age people and or people who live independently with sight loss that meet once a month for a social gathering. We're a friendly bunch that likes to try new activities, build friendships and encourage others to live life to the full. Hiya! On Wednesday the 28th of February is our VIP night. 
We shall be enjoying a musical masterclass in the restaurant at Beacon Court as we welcome Ukes on the Edge. Ukes on the Edge, who are based in Kimva, are a ukulele group for beginners, intermediate or fully experienced players. The group will be performing a whole repertoire of songs and they will also be holding an interactive session, giving us all an opportunity to try playing the ukulele. The activity cost is £3. We were starting at 6pm and finishing at 8pm. So note, the coffee bar will also be open on that night for refreshments. So if all this strikes a chord, please do come along and join us for some fabulous fun. Thanks for that update. Up next, we have a feature article from Soundings contributor Colin looking at the government's recently published Disability Action Plan. The plan sets out 32 proposals that could improve life for disabled people including steps to prevent and protect guide dog owners from being illegally refused access to buildings and services. A short film about Alzheimer's made by a couple has been nominated for a charity award to help raise further awareness about the disease. Frank Littleford was diagnosed with the condition in 2020 and the film shows the effect it has had on their lives. His wife Alison said, It is really important that people do understand the devastation that it can cause. The winner of the Smiley Charity Film Awards will be announced on 20th of March after a public vote. The couple from Wolverhampton volunteer for Alzheimer's Research UK and made the film with its help. After hearing of her nomination, Mrs Littleford said, We're very pleased. It's a bit surreal. It's very nice that it will hopefully raise awareness and further research. Speaking about his condition, Mr Littleford said, It's totally changed the way we live because my symptoms are worsening. I can't actually leave the house unless I've got some sort of company to make sure that I'm okay. He said he was realistic and added, I'm not complaining and I know what the situation is and I know what I've got to do and I know where I'm going. But he said from being a fairly active, independent person, he was finding his life was not his own anymore. Mrs Littleford said, It's slowly stripping Frank of his personality and his independence and his autonomy. Despite this, she said they do, still do loads of things. We have a lovely life together. The awards, which are now in their seventh year, are split into a number of categories and are decided through a public vote on which film has the biggest impact. Mrs Littleford said, winning the award would be great in terms of educating people. The church where TV's first blind date wedding was held wants stories from other couples who wed there as part of its 180th anniversary celebrations. Alex and Sue Tatham got married at St Michael's and All Angels Church in Palsall in 1991 after meeting on Cilla Black's classic dating show. And now the Black Country Church wants to hear memories of other couples for a wedding fair in October. By chance, the fair will fall on Mr and Mrs Tatham's 33rd anniversary. The Reverend Alison Morris says she remains in touch with the couple who are still full of the joy and celebration of the day, the 19th of October, and they may be coming to officially open the fair. 
The couple met in 1988 and tied the knot three years later with presenter Scylla and her husband Bobby attending the wedding at the church and the service being broadcast on ITV a day later. The couple who went on to have children may officially open the fair in October, Reverend Alison Morris said. Events will include a service of celebrations and vow renewal for those who wish to on the following day. That is just so poignant that we chose that date and lo and behold, it happens to be their wedding anniversary date, Miss Morris said. They are a lovely couple and they just epitomise and show the love and joy that couples enjoy within their marriage and they were just so overwhelmed by being at Palsall and having Scylla and Bobby there. Miss Morris, who also got married at the church, added, I believe there was over 5,000 people gathered outside. It was an enormous event and service and congregation and people still speak about it. So it's a lasting legacy for Palsall, really. For the wedding day, she said they were looking for marriage stories from over the many decades, as well as the joys and perhaps mishaps that occurred, she said. You can imagine how many weddings over the 180 years but we're only looking at the last 50 to 60 years of people that are still alive, Miss Morris continued. That will cover the war years, and it'll cover the exciting 1950s as we came out of the Second World War, and the 1960s, the hippie time, into the soul and reggae of the 70s and 80s. So we're really looking at how people met and why they chose to come to Palsall Church and the interesting uniting of two families coming together. The event is about celebrating lasting marriage, she said, and they hope also to hear from the oldest surviving married couple. Now, I'm sure many a local tipple may have been enjoyed at all those wedding celebrations over the years. And a local brewery are also celebrating, as a beer brewed in Sedgley has been crowned the champion winter beer of Britain. Snowflake from the Sarah Hughes Brewery came out on top in blind judging at the Campaign for Real Ale's Great British Beer Festival, Winter Festival, last week. The 8% ale, which is produced ready for Christmas each year, took the title ahead of last year's winner, Ellen Brewery's 1872 Porter. The joint silver went to Magnum Mild from Muirhouse Brewery. Snowflake was also the beer of the festival at the Dudley and South Staffordshire branch of Camera's Dudley Winter Ales Fair at Dudley Town Hall in November, where it was the first beer to sell out. The brewery is at the back of the Beacon Hotel in Bilston Street, and Snowflake, which was originally launched in 1999, is the strongest beer that it produces. It has won numerous regional awards, often for its dark ruby mild. The title for Snowflake follows a year of local blind tasting panels and vigorous regional heats. Accredited European Beer Consumers Union beer judge and chairman of the CWBOB judging panel, Christine Krein, described Sarah Hughes's beer as a beautiful amber barley wine. The fruity, slightly spiced nose invited the drinker to indulge. The rich, smooth, sweet palate had orange spicy notes balanced by a growing bitterness leading to a spicy dry bitterness. Remarkably Moorish. Christine added, The judges were impressed with the quality of the beers in the final. 
and thought they all had something to say. Simon Massey, director of Sarah Hughes Brewery and the Beacon Hotel, who received the award from Camera National Chairman Nick Antona, said, This is fantastic news. Quality is what we strive for, and it is all down to the brilliant team who work in the brewery and the pub. This batch of snowflake was brewed in September and sold out in two weeks over the Christmas period. We always put it out at the start of the Dudley Winter Ales Fair, where it sold out there too. I am very proud for my head brewer, Ricky Follos. This is a massive achievement and he should be very chuffed. The hard work really has paid off. The brewery closed in the mid-1950s, but my uncle, John Hughes, reinstated the brewery in 1987. He had a vision of what it could be, and I hope this award makes Sarah Hughes Brewery and the Beacon Hotel Pub a must-visit destination in the black country. The category winners from the Champion Winter Beer of Britain competition, including Snowflake, will be entered into the overall Champion Beer of Britain competition later this year. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. What was the name of the inventor of the World Wide Web? Question 2. In what year did the invent it? Question 3. Is the World Wide Web the same as the Internet? Question 4. Which language is the most popular one in use on the web? Question 5. How long did it take for the internet to achieve 50 million users? And finally, question 6. Which is the most used search engine? I will be back later with you in the show with the answers, but for now, best of luck! Cheers for those questions, Mina. Hmm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news. 
Drivers across the region are being urged to stop littering roads with fruit peel and apple cores to cut deadly wildlife collisions. Road users dropping organic matter can lure animals into often fatal situations where they are hit by passing vehicles, national highways said. A survey of 2,000 UK adults suggested 45% of people do not think biodegradable food counts as litter. Three out of ten respondents believed organic waste is beneficial to wildlife. National Highways has launched a campaign supported by charities, the RSPCA and Keep Britain Tidy, to encourage drivers not to drop litter. Nick Harris, National Highways Chief Executive, said, Littering is a dreadful social problem. It's not just unsightly, it can have a deadly impact on wildlife, turning verges into lethal roadside restaurants. We're working hard to tackle it on our roads, with our people litter picking every day. To keep them safe, we have to close motorway lanes, which delays drivers and costs millions of pounds. But if people don't drop litter in the first place, it wouldn't need to be picked up. So we urge road users to take their litter home. In the past three years, the RSPCA received more than 10,000 reports of animals found injured, trapped or dead because of litter in England and Wales. That is an average of nearly 10 reports every day. RSPCA lead wildlife officer Jeff Edmund said, Our rescuers deal with thousands of incidents every year where animals have been impacted by litter. Old drink cans and bottles, plastic items and even disposable vapes are just some of the items that pose a danger to our wildlife, including hedgehogs, squirrels, deer and foxes. Animals can ingest the litter, become trapped in it, or be attracted to old food on the roadside, which puts them in danger of moving vehicles. Alison Ogden-Newton, Chief Executive of Keep Britain Tidy, said, Our roads are a graveyard for small mammals and other wildlife that is attracted to the littered food and drinks that drivers illegally chuck out of their vehicles. We are pleased to see National Highways launch this long-awaited campaign aimed squarely at getting motorists to do the right thing, bin their rubbish and protect these precious, highly biodiverse areas where so many animals live. Keep Britain Tidy research in 2018 found that up to 3 million animals per year die on the roadside after being trapped in litter. The National Highway Survey was conducted by research company Walnut Unlimited in January. Now, from litterbugs to critterbugs. Although spring doesn't officially start until the 19th of March, there are signs of the season changing all around days are getting longer, brighter, dare I say warmer, and walks are becoming more and more colourful as flowers reappear. From snowdrops and daffodils to patches of bright crocuses, you might have seen some flowers to brighten your day on your walks. But has anyone bumped into Bob? Who, I hear you ask? Well, Staffordshire Wildlife Trust have nicknamed the charming little critter Bob, short for black oil beetle. And having been spotted ahead of time this year at Highgate Common, the Trust believe Bob actually shows us all that spring is on the way. 
The black oil beetle is a scarce invertebrate that relies on solitary bees for survival and has in recent years emerged in warmer months on Highgate Common between Enver and Kimber. Volunteers with the Trust always look out for Bob as a sign that spring is on its way. The first sighting of 2024 came a few weeks ago when eagle-eyed reserves officer Gary Pascoe spotted it near some newly created sandy scrapes. It is the second year it has been found in January and February, so it is possible their emergence is consistently earlier due to our warmer winter weather. Oil beetles have one of the most extraordinary life cycles of any British insect, as they are nest parasites of solitary mining bees. Larva develops in the bee burrow until it emerges as an oil beetle, ready to mate and start the whole cycle again. The insects have been identified as priorities for conservation action through the UK Biodiversity Action Plan, meaning urgent work needs to be done to conserve them and their habitats. Staffordshire Wildlife Trust keeps an update on creatures found at Highgate Common through its X page. It also asks members of the public to message it with their own sightings via at Staffs Ecology. Now, if Bob's not on your radar just yet, here's an adder one for you to look out for. Now, if that hasn't got you in hysterics, over the next few weeks, residents of the Black Country and Staffordshire are being asked to take extra care when walking their dogs in Cannock Chase as vulnerable adders emerge from hibernation. As the species faces increasing threats, dog walkers and other visitors can play a vital role in their conservation. With temperatures beginning to rise, adders are starting to wake from their winter slumber. Cold spells, however, cause them to be sluggish, making them particularly susceptible to encounters with curious dogs. Adders are shy creatures that will avoid interactions with people and dogs where possible. However, they may bite if they feel threatened, and they are venomous. Dog owners are advised to take their pet to a vet immediately if it is bitten. Staffordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Communities and Culture and Chair of the Cannock Chase National Landscape Joint Committee, Victoria Wilson, said, Adders are an iconic species that have suffered a significant decline in recent years and Cannock Chase is one of their remaining strongholds. We want to make sure that these amazing animals can continue to thrive here and that we can enjoy the area safely alongside them. Adders are particularly vulnerable as they emerge from hibernation and chilly conditions can make them less able to move out of the way of exploring dogs. So, to keep both adders and dogs safe, please keep pets on a lead and on the paths. This will also make sure that our pets aren't disturbing other wildlife, such as ground nesting birds. Dog walkers are advised to avoid walking into tall heather, wet pools and marshy areas where adders may be sheltering. These endangered reptiles also like to bask in sunny patches, so visitors are urged to keep an eye on the path ahead when walking. Adders can be distinguished by dark zigzag markings on their backs, although some can be all black. This nationally protected species is rapidly declining across many parts of the UK. In many counties, they face local extinction. 
Canuck Chase is one of the few areas where adders can still thrive, along with other reptiles such as common lizards, grass snakes and slowworms. Councillor Wilson added, Adders are an integral part of the rich diversity that makes Canuck Chase so special for all. This is why the County Council is working hard to support surveys on adders and recovery work across Canuck Chase and the wider county. As part of our natural environment strategy, we aim to have a plan developed for the species on our land by the end of 2025. More local news to follow, but now Pete's got an idea to help with the visual discomfort of sunshine. If you need help with sight loss, then filter glasses might help you. Filter glasses are a range of glasses especially for sight loss, designed to protect your eyes from harmful UV rays and reduce glare and bright light, and also improve contrast as well. They make things clearer to see and your eyes more comfortable. They can either be worn on their own or you can wear them over your existing prescription glasses. Wearing a sun hat or a baseball cap or a sun visor can also help too. So if you'd like to try the range of cocoon filter glasses and find the right lens and frame to make life a bit more comfortable for you, then call Beacon Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. You can call on 01902 880 111 and ask for a sight loss advisor. He would have become a much-loved and lauded centurion last week, and yet the luster of the Billy Wright legend lives on undiminished. So, to celebrate the golden memories of William Ambrose Wright, CBE, a Wolves, Black Country and National Icon at 100, up next in the Black Country Talking News, we have part two of Our Billy Wright, by those who knew him, a heart as gold as the team which he graced. Away from his loving family, wife Joy Beverly of Beverly Sisters fame, and children Vince, Vicky and Babette, spending five or six nights alone in an apartment in Birmingham or working on the after-dinner circuit, he became a heavy drinker, in stark contrast to the extreme discipline of his previous career. It's not something he shied away from mentioning. Joy also felt it important to address in Norman Giller's A Hero for All Seasons, extensive official biography of Billy, and Vicky included it in the two shows dedicated to her father, which she delivered at Molyneux and Canuck's Prince of Wales Theatre. Because, as with all the other obstacles faced in football, and indeed life, Wright overcame it. With that unswerving support from his family, he returned to quenching his thirst with nothing more than mineral water, which paved the way for one of the biggest thrills of his existence, just a few years before his passing, becoming a director of Wolves. Thanks to a combination of then-chairman Jack Harris bringing Wright back into the fold, 
by inviting him to games and Sir Jack Hayward then taking over the club in 1990, he was asked onto the board. It would have been one of the most important things Dad did to ask Billy to come onto the board, Jonathan Hayward recalls. Billy thought it was a huge honour, but Dad thought it was an even bigger honour to be able to ask him to do it. With everything that we were doing at that time, Billy just gave it extra prominence by being there and adding his knowledge and experience. When he travelled with the team, for example, he was held in such high esteem and the whole process of Billy being there rubbed off positively on everyone. Billy would go to all of the away games and I remember a lot of those trips when we'd get back to Molyneux in the early hours of the morning, adds Harris. It would be the early hours and he would then have a drive back down to London, but he would tell me that when he got home, he would always cook himself some beans on toast. He loved it. He was just a normal guy, so modest. There was another time when we'd played at Nottingham Forest and Cluffy, Brian Clough, came running out as we were leaving. His face lit up and he grabbed Billy and gave him a big kiss. I remember too when the Queen came to officially open the redeveloped Molyneux and I was one down from Billy in the line when she arrived. The Queen was walking along being very pleasant with everyone and she got to Billy and straightway she said, I recognise that face, I know who you are. Wherever you went, everyone knew Billy. He was just a legend, wasn't he? He was indeed, and his influence was far-reaching. When Graham Turner was considering the Wolves job at a time when the club and Molyneux were close to ruin, part of his motivation was being a fan and having Wright as his hero. He had actually written a letter to him previously and received a signed response. And when another GT, England midfielder Jeff Thomas, was attracting plenty of top flight and high profile interest when he came to Molyneux to discuss the final stages of a proposed move from Crystal Palace. I met Billy on the day I signed, which was amazing because he was an icon of football and not just Wolves, said Thomas. To have people of his stature walking around the club with that sense of history made me feel like wolves were going places at that time. For Bull and company, the feeling was exactly the same. Even though he once feared he and roommate Thompson had overstepped the mark as noisy neighbours. We were away one pre-season and I think it was the last night of the trip when we'd done a lot of hard work so myself and Tomo were having a few beers and had Sky Sports on the telly, Bull explains. It was probably blasting away a bit too loud, and Billy, who was next door, knocked the door at two o'clock in the morning, asking if we could turn it down a bit. Of course we did, we hadn't even realised, and the next day when we were doing a bit of light training before flying home, Billy was stood there with his arms folded. I thought we were in some trouble and we were trying to avoid him but he came after us and he asked us if he could have a word. As it was, it was Billy that wanted to apologise for knocking our door in the early hours even though it was us that was in the wrong but that's just the sort of guy he was. It was that hands-on approach from Wright both in his role as a director and also in helping set up Wolves' former Players Association in 1988 
which showed the depth of his feeling to all things gold and black. William Ambrose Wright sadly passed away from pancreatic cancer at the age of 70 in September 1994. His ashes were sprinkled on the Molyneux turf, but his legacy? That will never be forgotten. I got to know Billy Moore when he was working for the TV, but we all knew of his achievements. To us in Wolverhampton, he was the top man, wasn't he? said Richards. I think it was so important when he was invited onto the board because it just kept that connection between former players and current players. Him passing away was such a sad loss and it was after that I was asked by Sir Jack to become a director and follow in Billy's footsteps, which will always be an incredible honour. Wright's funeral was, like Sir Jack's almost two decades later, a day when Wolverhampton, the whole of Wolverhampton, came out to pay its respects. The rain teemed down, but that didn't stop thousands lining the streets, with Haywood and Harris among the pallbearers carrying Wright's coffin into St. Peter's Church. I remember it as a sad day, but also a reflection on what a wonderful city Wolverhampton is, with so many people coming out for Billy on that day, Haywood recalls. A century on from his birth, Wright's memory remains prominent. There is still a stand named after him, and that magnificently imposing statue sculpted by James Butler, surely one of the very best in football, continues to welcome everyone through Molyneux's front door. Graham Hughes, the former Wolves historian who passed away in 2021 and who also has a Molyneux stand named after him, was a fervent and dedicated disciple of all things Billy Wright. Forever proud to have been at Wright's history-making 100th appearance for England against Scotland at Wembley in 1959, Hughes would regularly lead visitors to the photograph of him leading the team out, hanging in Billy's boot room, another enduring tribute at the stadium. Also involved in the design process for that incredible statue, Hughes would constantly refer to Wright's selfless nature and desire to deflect any personal praise. For Billy Wright, it was always about the team and never about him. For Wolves fans, however, many held Wright as their hero. And for one in particular, there remains a poignant memento which he will always treasure. Brian Woodall, now 82, was a 14-year-old when one of six pupils from Dudley Grammar School selected to receive a coaching session from Wright, Jimmy Dunn, Bert Williams, Bill Shorthouse, Jesse Pye and Terry Springthorpe. Then, becoming a regular at Molyneux to watch him play, they met again in 1982 when, as part of his lifelong association with Dudley Town, Woodall was present when Wright officially opened the floodlights. More recently, Woodall attended the two tribute evenings put on by Vicky, whom, prior to sadly passing away through cancer last year, had delivered a wonderful gesture of her own via Brian's daughter Suzanne. Being coached by Billy and those other Wolves players was a fantastic experience all those years ago. He was such a great player, which was proved by getting those 105 caps, says Woodall. 
Myself and Suzanne got on really well with Vicky and her daughter Kelly, and I have put together a book with all the cuttings about Billy. Vicky then gave me one of Billy's ties with a lovely note attached, telling me to wear it with pride, which I certainly do. Any wharves function I attend, I wear the tie and show it off. And it's something that is very special coming from such a special player. The tie lives on and so too does Wright's legacy. A man small in stature who went on to become immense in influence for club and country. And he was one of War's own. Up next, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Take it away, Roger. Hello again everyone, I hope that this week that you're braced ready for a journey into the wonderful world of information and knowledge. So here goes. So, did you know that? An Englishman, Tim Berners-Lee, invented the World Wide Web in 1989 as a way to connect institutions and scientific establishments via the internet. That was so that they could easily share files and information. The concept grew rapidly and soon became available for use by the public. Berners-Lee freely gifted his creation to the world. The World Wide Web, or Web for short, is different to the Internet. The web as we call it are the pages that you see when you're at a device and you're online. But the Internet is the network of connected computers that the web works on. Just think of the Internet as the roads that connect towns and cities together. The World Wide Web contains the things that you see on the roads, like houses and shops. And the vehicles are the data moving around. Some go between websites and others will be transferring your emails or files across the internet, just separate to the web. The global population in 2022 reached 7.9 billion people. There are over 5.4 billion unique internet users. So they account for approximately 66% of the entire population. More than 25% of the websites are in English, and the most popular language by far on the internet is English. In fact, 25.9% of all of the internet is in English. 19.4% is in Chinese, and 8% is in Spanish. After the radio was invented, it took 38 years to reach 50 million users. It took 75 years for the telephone to do the same. However, the internet around the world managed to reach 50 million users in just four years, from the very first website created by Tim Berners-Lee in 1990. And if, like me, you've ever wondered how many websites are actually on the internet, well, currently, the number of websites is over 1.93 billion, and that number increases every second. 
So by the time you've listened to this spot, the number has grown such a lot. And Google takes the cake for the world's most popular search engine by a considerable margin. An estimated 92.17% of the global internet population uses Google. That accounts for over 4.2 billion people. Well then folks, that's a tiny, tiny insight into such an amazing technology. And I know that I'm astounded by it all. And grateful of course that we have it at our fingertips. Any road up, back to earth I go and I'll make myself a cup of tea and have a Kit Kat and get my mind back from the wonders of the computer's world. Till next week then, I'll say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own Sunny Mina. The weather for this week ahead is forecast to remain unsettled, with plenty of showers and with light winds coming in from the north. Temperatures should begin to turn cooler. UV levels are expected to remain low. The sunrise and sunset times are 7am for the sunrise and 5.45pm for the sunset. Friday 23rd of February is forecast to be the driest day of the week ahead with spells of sunny intervals expected throughout the day. Temperatures are expected to be around 9 degrees and will begin to feel rather cool overnight at 2 degrees. Moving on and a spell of rain is set to remain as we head into the weekend. With the winds picking up and a breezy weekend means temperatures will remain cool around 8 degrees. On to next week where the spell of wet weather will continue to dominate once again with plenty of light rain and drizzle sticking around in the black country. It is forecast for the rain to remain in the region on Monday 26th of February and continue right through to Thursday 29th of February. Yes, the 29th as it is a leap year this year. So many happy returns to all our leaplings listening. With a gentle breeze coming in from the southwest, temperatures may squeak up a touch and begin to reach double figures as we head into the later part of the week. So, there we have it, yet again another mixed bag of showers, sprinkles with some spells of sunshine and an extra day in February to enjoy it all too. As always, do take care and enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. February the 15th, 2024, the day that dark stormy clouds over the Hawthorns began to clear and the reality of the task to achieve the West Brom dream became clear for new owner Shillen Patel after a 2-0 home defeat to Southampton. With the Florida-based entrepreneur under no illusions as to the difficulty of realising his big ambitions for Albion. Attending the Hawthorns for the first time, Baggy's prospective new owner, saviour would not be too strong a word, witnessed just the sixth home defeat of Carlos Corberan's reign as Southampton played the role of party poopers to perfection. 
Patel, watching from the Halfords Lane balcony, didn't even have a goal to cheer as Albion were shut out for only the fifth time on home turf during Corberan's tenure. Confirmation of a takeover being agreed meant this week had already delivered the baggies' biggest result of the season, and the bigger remains most important. Yet still, the result felt a little deflating. Instead of a bright new dawn, the night was a blunt reminder of the gulf between the championship's breakaway top four and the rest. Albion are currently the best of the latter, and it remains an impressive achievement considering the restrictions under which Corberan has operated. The Spaniard hasn't been able to spend a penny in 16 months in charge. At 2-0 up, counterpart Martin had the luxury of bringing on Kamal Din Suleimana, signed for £22 million barely 12 months ago. The Ghana international wasn't the only expensive recruit to come off the visiting bench. That is the reality of the situation, and for all that the baggies underwhelmed in front of an expectant crowd, the unavoidable conclusion was Southampton are simply better, packed with Premier League experience. Albion could still be a top-flight club next season, though on this evidence, theirs and the cause of every other playoff contender would be helped by the Saints going up automatically. Even if the baggies do pull off something remarkable, the road to becoming the pioneering top-flight club of which Patel spoke in his introductory statement is likely to be a long one. Corberan spent most of the match in the stands after being dismissed in bizarre fashion just seven minutes in for kicking the ball when it was still in play. At that point, the Hawthorns had retained the buzz felt around the ground prior to kickoff. As the Saints then took control, things became gradually more subdued. While Patel took applause before the teams emerged, the first chant of the night was directed at his predecessor, the Smithic end giving Guachuan Lai one last derogatory send-off. Soon their ire was directed towards the officials. Corberan stuck out a leg as the ball trickled along the touchline, yet crucially not over it. Referee Sam Allison wasted little time in thrusting a red card in the direction of the baggies' head coach. Patel, looking down as the head coach headed off down the tunnel, looked a little nonplussed. Out on the pitch, meanwhile, the home players looked even more puzzled at how to tackle the Saints. More often than not, they could not get near to them to do so. Goals in each half from Ryan Fraser and substitute David Brooks earned the visiting Saints a relatively comfortable victory. Barring a 10-minute spell at the end of the first half when they admittedly should have been awarded a penalty, the Baggies struggled to lay a glove on Russell Martin's impressive side. And over in the capital, it was a totally different type of bout, as Wolves boxed clever once again, with a goal in each half securing an impressive 2-1 victory at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. After a frantic start to the game, where both teams failed to convert guilt-edged chances, Wolves settled and were clearly well-drilled for the contest. Compact, organised, aggressive to win the ball back at the right moments, before springing swift attacks. It was fast and furious football that delivered for Wolves just before half-time. When Wolves midfield maestro Joao Gomez added home his second-ever Wolves goal, after notching on his debut last season, to give his side a deserved first-half lead and cap off a remarkable 45 minutes from the midfielder. 
However, with the opening minute of the second half, all of Wolves' good work was undone when Spurs equalised. The ball fortuitously falling to Dejan Kulusevski in the penalty box. And the Sweden international poked the ball home between José Sarr's legs from a tight angle. Following the goal, Wolves endured a poor spell lacking in tempo and aggression. Consistently giving the ball away, the away side were fortunate Spurs did not take advantage of such poor play and go up a gear themselves. Nevertheless, in the 63rd minute, Wolves regained the lead in style. From a Spurs corner, João Gomes regained possession on the edge of his own penalty box and began the counter-attack by releasing Neto down the right. The winger, who was in scintillating form throughout, carried the ball the full length of the pitch before chopping the ball back onto his left foot and pulling an inch-perfect cross back to the onrushing Gomez, who did not have to break stride to finish off a wonderfully crafted second goal and Wolves' winner. Aside from the goals, Wolves' match winner Joao Gomez's all-round performance also caught the eye, and after the game, Gary O'Neill was beaming with his display especially considering he almost missed the game through injury. Brazilian manager Dorival Jr. was also in attendance, but was Gomez aware ahead of the game? O'Neill said, I have no idea, I'm not sure. I think you know what you're going to get from Joao, whether there's one person and his dog here watching, or the Brazil manager, or the Real Madrid manager, or whoever else might want to watch. I hope he's just trying to impress me, and he impressed me today. So it's a good day for him. Two weeks after doing the league double over Chelsea, Wolves achieved that feat again against Spurs as they continue to go from strength to strength in what's fast becoming a memorable Premier League season. The tactical plan worked perfectly and the head coach was delighted with how his players carried it out. He said, the result was excellent. To come to Tottenham and win is not easy, so it's a fantastic result for us. Performance-wise, I thought we deserved the victory with the chances created. I thought we were excellent. Now, here come the quiz answers, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. What was the name of the inventor of the World Wide Web? And the answer here is Tim Berners-Lee. Question 2. In what year did he invent it? And the answer here is 1989. Question 3. Is the World Wide Web the same as the Internet? And the answer? No, it isn't. It is the internet that carries the web. Question 4. Which language is the most popular one in use on the web? And the answer? It's English. Question 5. How long did it take for the internet to achieve 50 million users? And the answer here is just 4 years. And finally question 6. Which is the most used search engine? And the answer, it's Google. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all once again. 
Bye for now. Want to know how to get ahead in the garden this coming season? Here's some tips from the experts at MK Pulse magazine. DNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Jan with some seasonal tips and ideas from the gardening expert at the MK Pulse magazine based in Milton Keynes. Everything's coming up roses. Last month, we met keen amateur gardener Debbie Keating, who took an overlooked outdoor space and turned it into a little haven. This month, Debbie shows off her finished garden, which is a beautiful and calm creation. Debbie had used a free gardening design app to map out her plans and employed the muscle power of family members to help with the initial hard work. The bedded area surrounding the perfect oval lawn was dug up and then soil was mixed up with topsoil and compost to break the clay up and make it more habitable, she recalled. I then covered those areas with weed fabric and a generous layer of wood chippings, which is a much more bug-friendly mix than gravel. I have difficulty staying focused on one task effectively for long periods of time, so any garden work needed to be broken down into much smaller tasks that could easily be picked up and then parked when I ran out of steam. Did I mention that I'm not good with plants? She smiles. Well, I believe about 80% of what I plant either dies or never grows. It doesn't make for a good track record. But as long as I replace the gaps each year and don't keep getting the same plants over and over again in delusional optimism, tomatoes being a great example of that, then over time it does fill up. Only the massive pile of empty pots behind the shed testify to the sheer volume of death that has happened out there. The journey to green perfection has been a lengthy one, but the results speak for themselves. It has taken about seven years to almost finish, she admits. Now there are bits that need to be repaired or replaced, but when it's summer and tidy, it is an amazing space, and more like an outside room rather than just a parking zone for those bins. The space has a real buzz about it too. I try to pick good pollinator plants, Debbie agrees. We have far too many paved gardens nowadays and the massive decline in insects in recent years is going to be the downfall of us all. A real lawn is also far cooler underfoot in the summer months. Debbie's garden is also a private spot to indulge in a caffeine fix before work nowadays. Talk about starting the day the right way. And there are other benefits too. I have red currant and black currant fruit bushes, which are a vital ingredient for random red, my favourite vodka, she smiles. The absolute best reason to raise a glass to her efforts. DNF Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, 
just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed. Then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. ta